The word of God, where it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you asleep? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he already had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what shall we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O O Lord, you have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. What a story. Well, I uh, hope you all had a uh, lovely time over Christmas and, uh, and New Year uh, and, and a wonderful uh, holiday time. I had a, a great time away. I had an adventurous time. I uh, took up Rowan's challenge to eat a kiwi fruit with the skin on. Uh, that was, and I came out the other side. I read a, uh, a romance novel set in a funeral parlour and, uh, by Evelyn Waugh, wonderful book. And uh, I watched some Jane Austen, and I went surfing. So just a whole gamut of things. I don't know what you did, but but I hope it was every bit as adventurous as that. Let's uh, let's pray as we we sit under God's word. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, rest and recreation. Thank you for holidays. 
Lord, thank you too for your amazing word to us, for the life of Jonah the prophet, for things that you've done in history to uh, draw people to yourself. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we think about your words this morning, that you would help us to catch a glimpse of uh, your glory and your mercy uh, and your kindness and your forgiveness. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I can't think of a better way to start off a new year uh, than by spending a couple of weeks studying the book of Jonah. Uh, I'd love to say that this was a carefully laid plan and that many months ago already I thought what we should do is begin the year with the book of Jonah, but the truth is that uh, in my mind as I was away on holidays, half of the time I was thinking, what on earth am I going to do when, we, when I get back? Uh, and I had all kinds of other ideas. But the truth is, uh, it was at the last moment, almost by accident, that I decided that Jonah would be a good book uh, to look at. But as I've studied uh, Jonah, as I've thought about it some more, uh, I've realised that this is a book that we need. I've realised this is a book that I need, that challenges me, that challenges us, I think, as a church. As we set out on this year ahead, I think Jonah encourages us to, uh, to see the missionary heart of our great God. And it challenges us because it's a book about not only the missionary heart of God, but about one of God's people, Jonah, who is a reluctant evangelist. This book begins uh, with a pretty brief commission for Jonah to take God's words to Nineveh. Jonah was probably already a prophet at, at the time, but God comes to Jonah uh, and he says, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now I've got a map, Luke, if you could put the map up for me. So look, And I, I brought a laser pointer as well. Uh, so there's Nineveh up there, and that's Jerusalem down there, right? So uh, this is all Israel over here and uh, sort of Nineveh and Assyria and later Babylon and all that kind of stuff. So just leave the map there for a moment. Uh, so Nineveh was a, a, a city in Assyria, and it was the, na- it was the nation that, or the, one of the cities in the nation, uh, in the nation that would storm in and drag the northern half of Israel into exile, in 721 BC. So Jonah's prophesying about 30, maybe 30 years before the exile of the northern half of Israel. Uh, And the word of God comes to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and preach against it because wickedness has come up before me. And what does Jonah do? Jonah sets out to sea, he runs away, and you can see that if you set out to sea from Jerusalem, you're going pretty much exactly the opposite direction to Nineveh. I mean, you couldn't ask for... You know, a better direction to go than to set out to sea and over towards Rome. Not that Rome was there at that time, but anyway. So thanks for that, uh, Luke. So God comes to uh, Jonah with this commission to go to this country, uh, a country that would uh, shortly uh, demolish the northern half of Israel. And what does Jonah do? He runs away. He runs as far away from God and from his job as God has Uh, as he possibly can. 
I don't know how Jonah thought that he could run away from God. It's hard to imagine that anyone could think that that was possible. But that's what Jonah does. He boards the ship, he pays the fare, only to find that God hurls this great storm down on the, on the sea. And it's a storm so violent that the uh, ship threatens to break up. It's, uh, the, the ship is on the verge of being decimated. Lest there be any doubt about whose fault it is, the uh, sailors come up with this ingenious idea to cast lots, to, to draw straws, if you like, to, to try and find out who's responsible. And the straw, uh, the short straw falls to Jonah. It's like, the, it's like you know, those uh, down, down, prices are down, you know, those giant hands, like one of those giant fingers pointing at Jonah saying, Jonah, it's you, it's your fault. God makes sure everyone knows that this is Jonah's responsibility. Jonah himself seems a long way from God. Now, the sailors had woken Jonah up so that he could call out to his God. They tried calling out to their gods and that hadn't worked. So they thought, well, maybe we can get this passenger to try calling out to his God and see if that works. So they wake him up, but Jonah never calls out to his God. He asks the sailors to throw him overboard. He doesn't call out to God. He's just suicidal. Ben said before uh, he was asleep in the boat, he must have been so tired. I, I actually wonder if it was because he was tired. I think it might have been because he cared so little about whether he lived or died. You see that actually at the end of the book. There's no repentance it's just a determination not to do what God has called him to do. Now, Jonah's uh, commission might not seem to us like an evangelistic mission because, after all, God sends Jonah to preach against Nineveh and to tell them that their sin has come up against him. Uh, and given that evangelize, to evangelise someone means to declare the good news, it's hard to see that Jonah's mission could be seen as evangelical in the broadest sense of the word. And yet as the book of Jonah uncovers, we, uh, unfolds, we discover that God's purpose in sending Jonah is more than just about judgment. The purpose of preaching judgment was so that the people of Nineveh would repent, so that they would turn away. Jonah's great fear was that God was a compassionate God and that he would forgive them. And so God's purpose in highlighting Nineveh's sin was so that they could repent and escape judgment, whether it uh, was just a temporal, a, a judgment in the near term, or whether it was a judgment for eternity. If you like, uh, the good news that Jonah was taking to Nineveh was that God is a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And God's love is a love which extends beyond the boundaries of Israel, his people. Jesus' message was repent and believe the good news. John the Baptist's message was repent and believe in the one who is to come. Jonah's message was the same. Repent and trust in God and in his promised Messiah. And it's our message as well. Repent 
and trust in Jesus. Just as the Old Testament prophets called people to repentance and faith in Christ, or faith in the promised Messiah, now that Christ has come, we share that same prophetic ministry. Not a prophetic ministry in the sense of we predict the future, but a prophetic ministry in the sense, as we discovered some months ago, a prophetic ministry in the sense that we point to the same Messiah that the Old Testament prophets pointed to. The prophets pointed to Jesus who was to come and we point to Jesus who has come. The mission of the church, the mission of Christians equipped by the Holy Spirit is to speak God's words, as Ben said. To speak God's words to God's world about God's Son. At the birth of the Holy Spirit equipped church on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes from the prophet Joel, In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What was Jonah's task alone in the Old Testament becomes the task of the entire Holy Spirit-equipped people of God in the New Testament. To present the word of God, the message of God. Repent and believe in Christ. The tragedy is, I think, that like Jonah, we often run away from our Holy Spirit-equipped mission to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Jonah had his reasons for doing that, and we'll think more about what his reasons were next week. You might have your own reasons. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's complacency, maybe it's laziness, maybe it's self-preservation. Maybe it's lovelessness. Maybe it's shame. But whatever the reason, we run the other way. God gives us this task. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do the task. God's given us a glorious, glorious task, but too often we don't want to do it and we run away. It's not that we physically run away. It's not that we uh, you know, jump on the train uh, not, oh, not that there's any really trains down here, you jump on the bus to Hobart and think, well, if I jump on this bus to Hobart, God won't be able to get to me. We, I don't think we're, we're not so stupid to think that we can get away from the presence of God. I don't think Jonah was that stupid either, actually. I think what we do, I think the way that we run away is the same way that Jonah was running away. That is, we so order our lives that it makes it impossible for us to do the task that God has given us. We move ourselves and our families to places where it will be more difficult and more unlikely to speak about Jesus. We move away from our difficult and unbelieving family or our difficult and unbelieving friends. We take jobs and choose careers that will minimise the possibility of preaching the gospel. We fill our lives with millions of tiny little jobs that keep us from having to feel guilty about never having enough time. If my life is so busy, well, God can hardly expect me to, uh, to speak about Jesus. Some of you might even feel like Jonah, I don't know, more willing to die than to evangelise. In all seriousness, I'm not, I'm not saying that slightingly, I, I mean that in all seriousness. Some people so are so desperately resentful of the call to preach the gospel 
that they would rather end their life than do what God is calling us to do. Perhaps you're not that extreme, but maybe you still resent it. Those are all things that we need to repent of and to seek God's forgiveness. Our evangelism doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be hard. It doesn't need to be sophisticated either. As someone, a friend of mine once said, all it needs is for our inner convictions about Jesus to come out in our words and our actions. That's all, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's what it means to proclaim the gospel. To let our inner convictions about Jesus come out in our words and actions. If Jonah is about anything, it's about God's missionary zeal. And about our failure all too often to share that same zeal with God. So the book of Jonah confronts us with uh, Jonah's evangelistic intransigence and it challenges us to see our own uh, reticence and intransigence, intransigence as well. But remarkably, I think, even though Jonah is so dead set against doing what God has called him to do, to preach to the nations, Jonah can't help converting people. Jonah's boat trip is a lesson, I think, in the power of God to do precisely what we don't want to do. It begins with Jonah boarding this trip and, and uh, meeting these foreign sailors, these, these pagan sailors. And as we, uh, as we discovered, they, call on jo- they ask Jonah to call out to his God because they discover that their gods don't work. They, they don't work to calm the storm. And so they, they think maybe Jonah can help them. Jonah's God might help them. But Jonah's dismissive. He doesn't really want to do it. He doesn't want to play their game. And so the men uh, have to... Uh, start quizzing him to find out what's going on. Jonah's doing his best, it seems, to try not to talk. But they want to know. It's like being on a bus uh, and, and someone going, I really want to know the gospel. I don't want to tell you. I really don't want to tell you the gospel. No, please, you've got to, how can I be saved? Please, you've got to tell me. Now I'm not going to tell you. Finally, They say, who are you? Where have you come from? What's going on? He told them that he was running away from God. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And that, that only terrifies them more. This is the God who made the sea and the land. This is Jonah's God. That's when Jonah suggests that the solution might be to throw him overboard. And they're not very impressed with that idea. They try everything that they can to not to have to do that. Uh, They try to row back to land, but it does no good. The storm uh, is as threatening as ever, and so these sailors do something incredible. They cry out to God to forgive them for throwing a man overboard. Look at verse 14. Then they cry to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. The irony of what's going on in that boat is inescapable. Jonah, the prophet of God, the man of God, refuses to call out to God. And the sailors, the pagan sailors, are crying out to God that he would have mercy on them. And after tossing Jonah out of the boat, the sea calms down and these men know what's going on. They're not idiots. 
They know that Jonah's God is the God of Israel, is the true God, the God who made the land and the sea. And they commit themselves to God. Verse 16. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That's theologically loaded language in the Old Testament. It's the kind of language that is used in the Psalms to describe the people of God. These sailors fear God and sacrifice to him and vow to serve him. For some reason, I never quite understand. It's particularly in vogue for people, people who write books about the Old Testament. It's particularly in vogue for those people to think that almost nobody in the Old Testament ever was converted to, uh, to following God. They always, uh, they always say things like, oh, it only looks like, it only looks like they're, co- they're uh, converted. It, it was only temporary. They never gave up uh, their other gods. The argument always goes. And so w- whenever you read some of these books, the only people who are ever converted in the Old Testament are Ruth and Rahab from outside Israel. But why shouldn't Ruth and Rahab and these sailors just be the tip of a much larger iceberg that we never saw? Yet to the New Testament, there's all kinds of proselytes, as they're called, people who've bound themselves to the God of Israel. No, time and again we see these just these little glimpses of a much larger mass of people who bind themselves to God and to Israel's God. The conversion of these sailors has all the hallmarks of being genuine. Listen to these, uh, these remarkable words from Psalm 107 about seafarers who are converted to trust in God. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. The point is this. God sent Jonah to take a message from God to the nations. Jonah ran away, but God was still working anyway. The people on the boat became converted to the God of Israel, to Jonah's God. Even our reluctance, in other words, even our reluctance can't thwart God's missionary zeal. Our obstinance can't thwart God's missionary zeal. Our hard-hearted opposition to God, in fact, can't even thwart God's missionary zeal. Jonah says at the end of his prayer in chapter 2, salvation belongs to the Lord. If God wants to save the sailors, God will save the sailors. If God wants to save Jonah, God will save Jonah. If God wants to save people in Nineveh, God will save people in Nineveh. We don't get to choose. God chooses. God does it. And in God's mercy, sometimes he gets us to, to, he uses us to get it done, even when we don't expect it, and sometimes even when we don't want it. I think that's uh, an encouraging thought. How encouraging for the people of Kings Meadows uh, and Launceston 
to know that our obstinance and our hard-heartedness can't thwart God's missionary zeal. That even if we shirk every responsibility that God gives to us, that God will still save the people that he wants to save. It's an encouraging thought, I think, but it's also a scary thought. It's a scary thought because it means that God can use us for his purposes, whatever our spiritual condition might be. You see, I think it's tempting to, it's tempting to think that our ministry success is the result or an extension of our faithfulness. Our children are going well in the faith, well then it must be because we're so wonderful, we're so spiritually minded people. But that's not true. I remember, I I still remember, there was a great, wonderful minister uh, who came to talk when I was at Bible college and talk about the things that he'd learned in ministry. Uh, And he he said, one of the things I learned in ministry is that God loves his people very much. To which you think, yes, no surprises there. But what he meant by that was, God loves his people so much that he'll do them good even when he is in just the worst imaginable place. You know, he could be spiritually moribund and God will still build up his people. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it, really? See, our our ministry success, (laughs) our success in evangelising our neighbour and seeing them come to Christ is no reflection on where we're at. It's simply a reflection of the mercy and the kindness of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Not to us. Jonah was far less godly, far less humble, far less penitent than those once pagan sailors. But it was the pagan sailors who feared God and called out to him. And it was the prophet of God who ran away. Well, Jonah ran from God, but God still used him. And even when, God, even when Jonah threw himself into the water, God still determined to use Jonah to reach Nineveh. Uh, if you've got your Bibles uh, with you, let's turn to chapter 2. I just want to read chapter 2 and then say a few things about, about that. It's hard to know what Jonah expected when he was thrown into the water. I'm guessing he didn't expect to be swallowed by a large fish. He probably expected to get what he deserved, uh, that is death. He'd run away from God, shirked his responsibility, uh, and he probably expected that he'd die and then the sailors would be okay. But God, it seems, had other plans. Chapter 2. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled, around, uh, swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought up You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. 
Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 2 is a model of astonished gratitude. Uh, The first few verses of it suggest that in those moments when Jonah was plunged into the sea, in those, those dying moments, he suddenly came to his senses and he, and he thought, I should call out to God. And he does, he calls out to God and God rescues him. He, this fish comes and swallows him up. He was a goner, but he, he realised his folly and cried out to God. Jonah's uh, hard-heartedness to the to almost the very end is a reminder, I think, of how petulantly devoted we can be to our sin. Jonah's hard-heartedness is a reminder of how devoted we can be to our sin. It was as plain as a pikestaff that Jonah should have uh, repented. The lot fell to him. You know, it's the big finger pointing at Jonah saying, Jonah, this is your fault. You can do something about this. But it wasn't until he was hurled into the sea that he suddenly went, ah, you know what I should do? I should call out to God. It's amazing how often our lives are like that. It's not until the last moment that we suddenly realise What's going on? I remember when I was studying, uh, when I was doing software engineering, that uh, in the early days of user interface design, uh, when they were first coming up with um, graphical operating systems like Mac's early operating system, uh, they discovered that asking uh, people questions like, are you sure you want to delete this, were a waste of time. I might have said this before. But... uh, those questions are a waste of time because people become so psychologically fixated uh, on, on what they're going to do that even if it is the wrong thing, they'll still say yes. So they've got a file, they don't, want, they don't actually want to delete it. Are you sure you don't want to delete it? Yes, I'm absolutely sure I want to delete it. Stop annoying me. And the moment that they delete it, they'd suddenly go, oh, what have I done? I didn't want to delete that. And so that was, the, uh, that was the beginning of the recycle bin or the, the trash can that became known. But it, it's just, it was the same with Jonah. So, so fixated on what he was doing that he forgot to call out to God. Our sin and hard-heartedness is the same. We, are so, we become so fixated and nothing can turn us aside. I seem to keep meeting people uh, in the last few months. I keep meeting uh, or hearing about people who've made these massive decisions and it's painfully clear to everybody except them that they're making a terrible mistake and they can't be put aside. They can't be reasoned with. They can't be brought to see sense. That's why the Bible uh, and the Christian community are so important because they speak into our lives and woe to us if we stop listening. You know, if someone ever comes to you and says, you know, maybe you should think about this, you know, at least think about it. God was speaking plainly to Jonah 
But it wasn't until he hit the sea that he realised that he needed God, the God that he was trying to run away from. By God's grace, Jonah was snapped out of his spiritual blindness. By God's grace, Jonah was saved to fulfil the mission that God had given him. And Jonah's song significantly ends in the same way, uh, that, uh, in a very similar way to the way that the, sailor, the account of the sailors finished. Just like the sailors, Jonah's make, Jonah makes sacrifices and vows to God. In other words, there's a lot of similarity between Jonah and the pagan sailors. Jonah's song is a reminder that both prophet and pagan alike stand in need of the same grace. Jonah called on God and put his trust in him and God rescued him. The sailors discovered the God of Israel, the God of Jonah, and they called on him and put their trust in him and God rescued the sailors. Jonah's prayer is a reminder that even at our best, even as the best evangelists, we're just beggars telling other poor beggars where to find bread. Salvation belongs to the Lord, says Jonah. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when we forget that, we forget that to the detriment not only of ourselves, but to the detriment of our service of God in his gospel mission. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you called Jonah to uh, be sent to go to Nineveh to call them to repentance. And Lord, thank you that in the same way you have equipped each one of us with your Holy Spirit in order to call your world to turn away from sin and turn back to you. And Lord, you've given us that task not because we're more worthy but simply because of your mercy. Lord, salvation belongs to you. Lord, help us to see that and to accept that and to rejoice in that. Lord, forgive us uh, if we have tried to run away ourselves from the task that you've given to us. Forgive us for that, Lord, and help us to work out what it means to proclaim the gospel in our lives. Help uh, our inner convictions about Jesus Christ to be manifest in our words and our actions every day. And Lord, we pray that through that we might participate uh, in your great missionary project to your lost world, Lord, that they might turn from uh, rebellion against you and discover that you are a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.